Welcome to Star Talk, your place in the universe where science and pop culture collide. Star Talk begins right now. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I'm an astrophysicist at the American Museum of Natural History right here in New York City. And I also serve as director of the Hayden Planetarium. Come check us out sometime. I got with me in studio the one, the only, the inimitable Chuck Nice. Yes. Chuck, welcome back, man. Hey, Neil. Love, nice. you, love having you. I love being here, man. And you get into all kinds of stuff. First, you're tweeting at Chuck Nice Comic. At Chuck Nice Comic. Ch Ch other Chuck Nices were taken, I'm it, told. Well, yeah. Well, screw the rest of those Chuck Nices. <laughs> all right, sorry. You yeah. were just slow. <laughs> just admit it. <laughs> That's why uh, I put the comic on there. Also, I was checking your bio in progress. You're doing a, a show where you're just invading people's homes, which oh. sounds creepy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> imagine that. A black man home invasion <laughs> show. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's called Home Strange Home, man. It's Home me, Strange Home. Me going around to some of the weirdest and uh, most unique homes in America. And calling and, them out. And calling them out, yeah. And and what what network? Uh, HGTV. Home and Garden Television. Home and Garden Television. That is my sister's favorite network. I love her. Every speed dial button goes to that network. <laughs> my kind of woman. She'll, I'm not going to tell her. She's going to find you by accident. Fantastic. And she's there. I got with me also my friend and colleague, Charles Liu. Great to see you. Professor Liu. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Excellent. Uh, astrophysicist at the City University of New York on Staten Island. Yeah. And I've, I've got you here because we're featuring my interview clips with... Alan Rickman. Yes! Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. By Grand Thar's hammer, you shall be avenged. And I didn't... Galaxy I, Quest. I didn't know this in advance. That was it. Yes, you did. Good or bad. We'll <laughs> <laughs> find out. Good reference. <laughs> bad impersonation. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is. So, Alan Rickman, you, you may know him from his role in Harry Potter. He was Snape. Creepy. Define the word creepy. Yes. He's, he's it. Yeah. In Harry Potter... Of course, he was in Die Hard, one of the greatest villain roles ever. Yes. He was in Galaxy Quest, how yes. uh, as campy a movie as there ever was, in Dogma, many other films. And uh, he was also in Bottle, uh, Bottle Shock. Bottle Shock, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, wine film. A big fan of that. And, you know, for... Folks who are sort of sort of A-list guests like that always like knowing what role science might have played in their lives. Mm -hmm. It's not always good. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so I just like knowing, just so I know what I'm dealing with, right. you know, in the interview. So let's find out what Alan Rickman tells us about his life experience learning science. So Alan, I have to ask, because you've been in some intriguing science fiction films like Galaxy Quest, I always wonder, do people who end up in those roles, do they have some science background that leads them to it? How, how is science flavored in your life, in your years in school? Put it this way, when I did uh, my very last physics exam, I got 4%. Uh, that would off. be four marks out of 100. Oh, <laughs> Not 96 because you lost four no, marks. I got four marks. Four in your physics. And I think they used to give you one mark for getting your name right. <laughs> on the top of the paper uh, and uh, and the teacher wrote a hysterical paper and I, he didn't mean that it was funny um wait so, so uh, what's the corresponding year in school in america that that would be is that, that how old be when i was about um 15 or okay 16, so high school something like that yeah and it's before you choose which subjects you're going to do what we call A-level when you're uh, 17 and 18 and then you go to university so physics was 
No science was never, ever going to be part of my so life. So that when you said, maybe I should be an actor. <laughs> no, at least I had an option. Yeah. <laughs> Makes me wonder, like, had you done well in physics, we would have never had you as an actor. I, I don't know uh, what these four, how these forces operate. But No, actually, there was somebody in my year who, because it, it, it was a good school in that sense. They didn't kind of try to trap you or type you and somebody in my year which did, is a very uk thing to do right yeah type well i don't know about uk it's world over you know get a label on people as yeah. quickly as they can this guy in my year did for his three a-level subjects i.e leading up to university he did physics maths and art and he wound up being an art teacher oh. and i'm sure all the better for having uh, had science in his life Wow. So, yeah, we got 4% on his physics. I'm not going to ask you what percent you got on your <laughs> physics. Chuck, I'm turning to you on this one. <laughs> I, uh, that's funny he says that because I remember, now we had physics in uh, the ninth grade, Ooh. the school that I went to. Ooh, was it a private school? It, or was, it was a uh, prep school. And prep it school, was, okay. And it was uh, academically advanced. Mm -hmm. I was not academically advanced. All right. And so I failed physics. And oh, um, now, now it comes out. <laughs> but what it so that's when he said, I think I'll be a comedian. <laughs> yes. <There laughs> and poke fun on a physics radio show. Yeah. But I, I loved science and I really felt like, man, I can't believe I'm, I, I failed this class and I blamed the teacher. But I had the right thing to do. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so in favor. I blame the teacher. So you're, you're an educator, yeah. uh, as am I, of course. Mm -hmm. But you, you, you think a lot about this. So yeah. mm -hmm. I, I'm intrigued that he could fail a class, yes, but still embrace the meaning of science. Because when Alan mm -hmm. Rickman said he got four percent, he wasn't bad mouthing science. That's right. He just got four percent. That's right. That's all he was One saying. thing that he said that was so telling. He said that most places in the world, you get trapped into places. Oh, yeah. you must be the science guy. Oh, you must be the art guy. Yeah. But the bottom line is, especially in this modern world, you can love anything and be anything at the same time. The information... Without the you, metrics of an exam exactly, to tell you whether the, you should do either. The right? information that used to have to be forced into you as training for something is no longer that constrained in the classroom. You can get it anywhere, but like yeah. all over the world, oh, online. Oh, yeah. so we live in a time where the teacher is not the sole source exactly. of your enlightenment. So the teacher's role becomes whether or not you learn how to think about things in a positive light, whether you understand things in a way that makes sense for you in your life. If the teacher fails to do that, it is the teacher's fault. It is oh, not the student's you. fault. So I tell all my students, when I teach astronomy, you know, I, I say, look, if you don't like math and science by the end of this class, don't blame math and science. Blame me. Right. And I'm totally comfortable with that. And I'm really glad to hear it. What did it for me, though, was... Uh, so you were burned in effigy recently. I mean, <laughs> that's fine. That's happened. Well, did you do well in any science class? Oh, yeah, yeah. I did okay. well in most of them. I just really... I don't know what it was. I don't think we had a communication thing. But then uh, another... My chemistry teacher gave me a book called Introduction to Astronomy. Ah. Your chemistry teacher. My chemistry teacher okay. gave me this. Good for your chemistry Because the, chemi the chemistry teacher said, there's no way you can be doing this well in chemistry and failing physics. Mm. And um, when I started, this book was really fascinating. So as a teacher figured something else must be operating yes, right, on that, yes. yeah? And I found the book so fascinating that it inspired me to continue going. That's great. And you became a comedian. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But astronomy is often a gateway science. When we come back, we've got more of my interview with Alan Rickman, the actor extraordinaire. And I've got in studio Chuck Nice, Charles Lude. We'll be back in a minute. We'll be right back. 
back. Star Talk Radio. By the way, you can find us three ways. First, we're just simply on the web at startalkradio.net. We have an archive of all of our old shows. Check it out. But there you can also download us as a podcast, as you can on iTunes. We're also in video form on the Nerdist network of YouTube. So find us there. And not only that, we're on broadcast radio. And so, Chuck, yes. with a lot of roots in broadcast radio, I, it's so great to have you participate in this adventure. Yes. Yeah, I feel the same way. And my roots are deep in broadcast radio. Yeah, yeah. So thank, thanks for that. And Chuck, you, you, you were a radio broadcaster in college. Yes, I was. Excellent. So we, we let's put on our radio voices. Right? Here we go. All right. <laughs> well, I did punk rock once in a while. So it was like, hey, how you doing? It's another hospital. Punk rock. <laughs> so in, in this edition of Star Talk, we've got my interview clips with Alan Rickman, who's actor extraordinaire. I mean, when he speaks, you can only just be silent and listen to the words as they come out of his mouth. He, first, he's got the British accent, which yes. means he has access to vocabulary that Americans can only dream of. <laughs> and just the roles he's played have been yeah. so compelling and so absorbing. And in this next clip, I, it came off of our discussion of his exposure to science and what about science might intrigue him. He didn't do well on that physics class. He got 4% out of 100. I thought it was 4% off, 4% uh -huh. in. So yes, that's bad. That's That'd be bad. an F minus. <laughs> minus, minus, minus. So but does that influence what roles you might play? Uh, is it good or is it bad? Is he still curious? Turns out he's quite interested in human physiology. Well, who isn't? But to know that an actor is brings an extra dimension to it. Let's find out what he tells us about that about watching somebody play the piano, I don't know how that's physically possible. How do, they, how do people retain that information? How do they then not look at what their hands are doing? Uh, and how is that message going from the brain to 10 fingers and dividing that information up? Uh, and also um, operations now where the, the edges get blurred, whereby people can operate with a tiny camera inside people's bodies. And apparently the way they train themselves to do that is by um, getting really good at computer games. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's a fascinating frontier. So I'm, I'm curious then, I mean, you, you're intelligent, you, well, you, you're a deep thinker, we've spoken earlier, you even think philosophically about the world. It seems to me that that could and would play some role in what drives the roles you select in your acting career. I mean, why wouldn't they? If someone, if someone, yeah. if someone had an idea, they say, we're going to cast doctors. Consider, was it in the 1960s, that movie, uh, that Isaac Asimov story, Fantastic Voyage, where the, the vessel, the Proteus, I think it was called, shrunk. There's some, there's some important diplomat that has a brain tumor, and he might die, but they, they have found a laser that could fix it, but they have to shrink down the laser and get inside and do it. So they take this vessel, put people in it, shrink it down to the size of, that can fit in a syringe, and then you go inside the body. And then the whole movie is what is inside the body and what they see and the, and the red blood cells and the, the ventricles of the heart and the veins and the arteries. And they get to the brain and they pull out their laser, which was a big thing back in the 60s. And, and I'm just curious, those, those sound like intriguing roles. And if, if, you, if you feel that, it just means I have to do a lot of uh, background work to catch up. <laughs> well, I, so I mean, that's, that's all right. No, that's that's enjoyable that? too. I like I like ambiguity in roles because that's interesting because it means there's no rules and it means you can pull people into a private storytelling space and they're not being manipulated by outside forces. They're 
imaginations are allowed to work along with mine. But at the same time, uh, I did actually do a film playing a heart surgeon, and I was on really big catch-up there because I was now forced to try to understand how the heart even works, and then uh, to mime doing a heart operation because it was about Alfred Blaylock who did the first Blue Baby operation. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. So when you're an actor, you don't know what you're going to be called to do, mm-hmm. and there he is. First, he's intrigued by the moto neuro kineticism of a piano, piano player. player. Who is it? Do you play the piano, Charlie? I do play the piano. Of course piano. you do. <laughs> <laughs> do you play Sorry. the piano too? Uh, no longer. No longer. I did. I took lessons for a little while, yeah. but I sucked. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now, my daughter is way better than I am. Okay. Piano. But the reality is that indeed, when the human body programs itself, the reason we practice is that we're able to train our bodies to do things beyond our ability to think consciously. It's the same for playing piano as it is for, say, a football player. If somebody's coming in and trying to sack you as a quarterback... Have you run you the other way. You, <laughs> what yeah, is, what you, kind of training does that take? But you literally don't have enough time to think to, think to move. Your body has to know to move before you even think, way. oh, somebody's going to come hit me. So you're training yourself all those years. You think, oh, I can play quarterback or, oh, I can sack the quarterback. The reality is your body has to react faster than you can think and command your body to react in order to be successful. So that's so you're training. Yes. So you train. So so yeah. I feel the same way at the Source Awards. Mm. You know, (laughs) it's like if you hear pop pop, you don't even think. You just (laughs) (laughs) so so you you've done this. This has happened so often. (laughs) Your your motor neuro kinetic response. You you would think that uh, it would occur to me just not to go to the Source Awards. (laughs) (laughs) Hundreds of hours, thousands of hours. Of that kind of practice. But what is very cool is that the human brain, even with a few hours, can make it so that other humans looking at that person suspect that there's the appearance of ability, even though the true ability is not yet revealed. Oh, so the actor doesn't have to then be the 20,000 hour expert. Precisely. They can just. Uh, even a 20 like hour it. expert, right. right. And again, that takes. But they have to know how to mimic. Exactly. And that right. itself has its own brain, not neurocognitive things. Mm-hmm. So different people are good at different things. It could be, for example, that the maestro piano player particularly can arrange his or her fingers to become very good at playing the piano, whereas the actor or the comedian has the motoneuro ability to find a way to reach those specific aspects that appear to be excellent to others and be able to communicate. You know, when I, was host, when I was hosting Nova Science Now on PBS, ah. we did a segment on your brain learning while you're asleep of something you had done the day before. Right. Okay, so you do a task that you've never done before, and you it's hard at first, and you get a little better at it, and you keep getting better, but there's a point where you're just not getting better. You, you, you fatigue, mm-hmm. I guess, is mm-hmm. how you, we would normally describe it. You go to sleep, wake up the next morning, kick in, you start at a higher level than you left off the day before. Because your brain, the brain added kept, the information it kept into going. Its and it's not just knowledge, it was adding kinetic uh, memory of what you were doing. And so when they say sleep on it, that it actually has meaning. Okay. And, and, and I was able to confirm that. And I did this with multiple, I did it with a video game that required uh, wow. kineticism. I did it with a, a, a typing sequence. I did it with a, a memory sequence. The next day I was better and so, um, the brain is working. So is your brain like making new neural pathways so that you're better at that? That's what they used to say, Charles. But it's just, I mean, we're not growing new neurons, right? right? Okay. 
It's just the rearrangement of the chemical pieces that we picked up. It all kind of settles in during that time when you're not doing anything else. So all just sacks of chemistry is what you're telling us. Oh, chemistry, alchemy, magic. You know. <laughs> magic, magic. Who knows what magic. it is? <laughs> but as well you know, Neil, all scientists throughout history who have reached intractable things have at first ascri ascribed them to perhaps magic or divinity, but knowing that that's just a gap until we fill it with more knowledge. And What's interesting is... It works that way historically, and there's the famous uh, edict or adage from Arthur C. Clarke, where any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Right. Ah. Yeah. That's and so, right. so, so, so. Take not an iPhone back to colonial America. No, take it back ten years ago. <laughs> you'd still be, you still be burned at the stake. That's true. Right. Right. Uh, so, what, for an actor to learn to be another whole person. Um, I'm intrigued to, and, and, and heartened, well, of course, because we see it and it's real. Actors who are good pick it up, they capture the essence of it to the point where you, the viewer, even if you're an expert in what they're acting, you think that they yeah. are yeah. what that is. You want them to be that. That's true. On the other hand. I watch The Big Bang Theory, and I'm <laughs> certain those actors are experts in all yeah. the fields yeah, that yeah, they yeah. talk about. Yeah. On the other hand, doesn't it rankle you when, I don't know, maybe Chuck, you know this, when you're watching somebody pretending to play the piano on the movie and their hands are over here and you yeah. know that the sound <laughs> is coming from <laughs> over there, you're going, oh, forget it, man. Right. Yeah, I'm, I'm switching the channel. I'm not taking yeah. you to the, to the next <laughs> <laughs> Or the next taping of Big Bang Theory. <laughs> yeah, and some actors, they'll actually want to learn the piano mm -hmm. so that you know, like they want to be that real, yeah. or they'll gain the weight or lose no, the weight. You're right. Denzel Washington played a trumpet player in Mo Better Blues and literally learned the fingering, not to play the trumpet, oh, but okay. the fingering. So you checked the cheek to see if it was <laughs> more of our interview with Alan Rickman when we come back to Star Talk. back on Star Talk. Today we are featuring my interview with Alan Rickman. Listen to that guy all day. Huh? <laughs> um, no, that is not a good imitation of I Alan Rickman. He sounds a little smug when he talks. Yeah, but then, I love it. But then you, 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 you want that, you know? I mean, <laughs> but his last line in the last movie, you have your mother's eye, such pathos. You just want to shed a tear for the dude. Yeah, I wanted to shed a tear for that impression. <laughs> That's why you're the comedian and okay. I'm the astronomy No, professor. I'm glad you did it because mine sucked, but that one. <laughs> okay, he's, he's done a lot of movies. The movie I'm thinking of right this minute is he was one of the lead characters in the movie Bottle Shock, which chronicles an episode in the history of American ornology. Ah. That's one of those O-E words. Yes, ornology. Yes. Well, look, I, Neil, I hope it's okay that I reveal to the world how much of an enophile you are. This man, folks, is one of the maybe two or three most knowledgeable people about wine in the whole world. No, that, that he I knows. Know. <laughs> that I know. In the whole world that I know. You have to let me finish my sentence. Okay, why? Right. Right. Uh, well, thank you for, that, yeah. for those kudos. But I'm just saying, so so I had to go see that movie. And oh. I found out neither of you saw that movie. So They're I had to do all the talking this same. Didn't see Sideways either. Yeah, so Sideways is another good one. So <laughs> I'm just impressed that there are these, that there's a wine movie out there. And it chronicled the 
this chapter in the history of American winemaking where California is trying to make a name for itself, right? It's got the grapes of the classic wine growing regions of uh, France yes. from Bordeaux, yep. and Burgundy. especially uh, Bordeaux in this particular case. And, and so they grow their Cabernet Sauvignon grape. And so the most expensive wines ever at auction from France are this grape. You put the plantings here in America, and they're trying to compete. And there was a contest in 1976, our bicentennial year. It was all up with America. And the French said, let's have a contest. You guys are so uppity. Let's bring some of your wines against some of our wines. And some people were a little skeptical that maybe the French were trying to embarrass us mm. on our... Because, by the way, the only way you can conduct that experiment is if you taste the wine blind. Right. Mm. Right? You can't know in advance because then you don't trust the judges. Especially the French. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we have a contest where you bring your still? <laughs> <laughs> right. So you got to work that and, and play it right. And so so Alan Rickman plays, was he one of the judges? I forgot the exact role, but he was there as part of this, this contest that would be conducted. And so uh, let's check out this clip and, and we'll talk more about wine when we get back. All right, so you study your roles, <laughs> yeah. as, as any good actor does, which tells me then, in Bottle Shock, you had to do a lot of wine tasting. <laughs> That's not so difficult. <laughs> <laughs> had to do your homework for Bottle Shock. Yeah. Uh, no, well, the real problem with that was we were shooting it all in Sonoma, and uh, and so when we came to the scene where there's a, it, it's about a blind wine tasting between French, and a true story between French and American wine. Like, we well, taste the wine, and you don't, you're not told in advance yeah, anything about it. Yeah. And, uh, and this was set up in Paris 30-odd years ago by the character I was playing to publicize his wine academy. And this all happened, and his judges were very eminent um, French, all French chefs and um, wine experts. And Snobs, basically. <laughs> well, they knew what they were talking about. Uh, horror of horrors, the American wines won. Uh, That's an extraordinary the story. French. But of course, the departure from anything to do with reality is when we shot that scene of the actual wine tasting, it was in about 90 degrees of heat outdoors uh, in Sonoma, where, of course, you, you couldn't possibly have done that because it would have ruined all the wine. Oh, right, right, right. But it was, a, it was visually uh, stunning. Right, yeah, look. It, <laughs> it, 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 it looked mm. good. Yeah, so so there he was. So uh, he was the sort of the British merchant who organized this tasting in France, and yeah, America won. And in fact, I have tasted the wine that won that contest. Wow. It was a 1973 Stags Leap. Stags Leap Cask 23. Wow. Cask 23. Was it actually that good? Stags Leap uh, 1973. Now, now back then and still. Uh, California wines tend to mature sooner than ah. than French wines. So okay. when the French lost this contest, they would then say, "Oh well, the American because it's 1976 was the contest. These American wines, wine. the other uh, French wines were in the early 70s, right? right? Yeah. So they would say, "Oh, ours has not shown well yet. Exactly. <laughs> Come back in two years. <laughs> we will see who wins then. Big." By then, it was too late. Genie was out of the bottle. Wow. Uh, Time magazine was present at the tasting, and they oh. ended up writing about it. No other American press was interested in covering it. You know, there is a California wine called Rocket Science. Yes. In fact, I had some of that yesterday. As good as Stagsley? They're coming along. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, I, I'm, I'm a sucker for a wine label that has 
cosmic themes. Yeah. And there's a lot of them. In fact, I think cosmically themed wine labels are like second behind like nature stuff, like cute flowers animals. and right. cute animals. Okay. Just check it out. You, there's some with moons and planets and stars. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the lucky charms of wine. <laughs> I can the yellow brick road. That's the next one. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm quite sure that cosmic themes have infused the winemaking uh, pe people might have done well in their Astro 101 and it yeah. showed up on their labels. When we come back, more of my interview with Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was more. Yeah, never Star Talk Radio, featuring my interviews with Alan Rickman. Alan, and, and both of you guys cannot imitate the man. I'm okay, sorry. Okay, no, you're right. It <laughs> doesn't stop us from trying. It doesn't stop you from trying. And we just came off of that segment with uh, a bottle shock. We were at American Wine, won this prestigious French competition, set up to, to showcase what, how far California had come. And, you know, the science of wine is fascinating. In University of California, Davis, there's an entire school there that specializes in the science of wine. Yeah. And so what I like is that the Americans were saying, whatever you guys do in France, because you want to raise it to an art. In California, they're saying, we're going to bring it down to a science. Right. We will kick your ass with science. <laughs> we will blind them what? with science. Blind. <laughs> Draw some science on them, son. <laughs> Snap. So Alan Rickman didn't only do Bottle Shock. He also did what, one of the campiest, funniest movies ever, Galaxy Quest. Dr. Lazarus. Yeah, I don't know how many people out there saw the film. Yes. I don't think it was like a number one in the charts, but definitely it's certainly a, like a rentable film. And... It, it was about a, a, a TV characters from a science fiction show that actual aliens came who had, had to protect their civilization or something. They want them to help them because yeah. they, they thought it was real because they got the television signals right. from that went out into space. We have read, we have seen your historical. <laughs> it was every Trekkie's fantasy come true. And yeah, Amazing. every Star Trek uh, fan. Every Star Trek fan. Because you want it to be real, and the aliens thought it was real. Mm -hmm. So Alan Rickman played uh, Dr. Lazarus, right? Is that in the Galaxy Quest By TV show? By Grabthar's hammer, you shall be avenged. Let's go straight to that clip. <laughs> I just asked him, what, how does this fit into your, your, your acting repertoire? Let's find out what he said. Well, I mean, of course, in, in Galaxy Quest, I'm trying to think if I've done any others, but uh, that was very particularly about a bunch of actors. So, uh, <laughs> who were all trapped in a really bad TV show. Uh, so that's, that's right. You really were, all I had to know. You were portraying an actor on that. Yeah, that just didn't occur to me to think of it that possibly a bad actor. <laughs> right. <laughs> who, uh, who had, uh, you know, aims of having been in Shakespeare and found himself in a sci-fi show, which then finished 12 years ago, and now these actors just go to conventions. Right, right, because, uh, so, and the real aliens showed up. Right. Real aliens showed up unnoticed in the crowd of um, <laughs> pe people wearing my costume. <laughs> the 
premise is mm. just so crazy. I mean, it's, it was it's brilliant, fun, fun crazy yeah, premise. Brilliant. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad you did it because it was, it, uh, it's mm. there. <laughs> so this is in his portfolio yeah. of, of yeah. acting roles. You know, I, I just remember my notes. Forgive me, I had to reference my notes. The uh, aliens in the movie called the Thermians mm -hmm. and octopoidal creatures, yeah. right? That's yeah. what they had were. Humanoid form. But they had humanoid interacting. form when they were interacting with us. Yeah. But when you saw them doing in, in their nasty? true form, oh, they were disgusting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so they did it for our benefit, so yeah. that we wouldn't f completely. No, they're awesome. Uh, completely freak out. Yes. So I, Alan, Alan made a, an interesting point that there are actors there who may have trained in Shakespeare mm -hmm. and find themselves on a hit TV show that has nothing to do with Shakespeare. Rickman played that part to perfection in a sense because he looked a little grumpy yes, in that role. He was right? supposedly Sir Alexander Dane, a yes. distinguished Shakespearean actor who winds up on TV and now that looks like a moron. In one scene in the movie, he had to go stand in front of a Walmart-like box store with his friends and say, by Grabthar's hammer, what a saving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the store. <laughs> yeah, and so the whole point of it is that you can take a role and play with it as much as you want, or you can disdain it and say, that's not part of you, right? In, in modern Star Trek lore, people are still going around doing exactly the same thing. In my one cameo <laughs> on The Big Bang Theory, yeah. I chatted with the Raj character, yeah. right? Because mm -hmm. he's the astrophysicist on the show. And I said, oh, so what is your background? Like, he's classically trained in, in, in England, and he's studied studied Shakespeare yeah. and then I thought to myself did he ever imagine that he would be best known for like a geeky science kid in, in a TV hit sitcom yeah. and so I guess uh, surely it all folds in but I, maybe you've got to go where the where the you got to roll with it yeah you do and you hate every minute of it until, <laughs> until you get a check <laughs> funny check. how that just makes everything okay <laughs> oh, I'm just really selling my soul here. This is awful. There is no artistic integrity to any of this. How much is this? My God! I'm stealing money! <laughs> More of my interview with Alan Rickman when we come back to Star Talk. Star Talk Radio, featuring my interviews with Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Alan Rickman. Oh, it's just awful. That's why he's Alan Rickman and we're not. So I got Chuck Nice here. Chuck, you're tweeting at Chuck Nice Comic. That's right. And you're tweeting too. I just I am. It. I am at Chuck Liu. Chuck. C H U C K L I U. The Chuck Liu. So education things and yeah. fun cosmic things. Pretty cool. Much. We'll have to we'll have to find you there. And uh, we talked about some of the roles Alan Rickman has played. And so in his role in the Bottle Shock, he had to know something about wine, so he had to do some wine homework mm -hmm. about that. In fact, that film featured chemical changes in wine yeah. because as they portrayed it, although I don't think it actually happened this way in real life, but it added to the drama, the wine, when it was shipped overseas, went through a chemical change for having been sort of jostled because you have to move the wine to where the tasters are. Ah. And wine doesn't like being moved any more than you like being moved, bottled up, and right. so so the wine has to recover from this, and so there's a little bit of chemistry in the film as well. 
And if you don't know the chemistry, you have no feeling for it, you can't embrace it, and you're an actor trying to say convincing chemistry words, mm -hmm. uh, it doesn't play. And, and Alan Rickman seems to have pulled this off each time. So we talked about what is to learn science and uh, what might prevent you from learning science. Let's find out. So I've got a question. You, you, you scored so poorly on your physics exam. I don't know if that scarred you. Often in America, when people say they get scarred, it's not from an exam score, it's from a really bad teacher. But in either case, they're turned off for, from science like for life. You've had several occasions for science to work its way back in your life. Not, not only in, in some film roles, but uh, in your role as a, as a heart surgeon. And there's a little bit of chemistry in bottle shock or thinking about what goes on inside the wine. So I'm curious, did, did those forces help you regain an appreciation for science or the role of science just intellectually or even in society? Um, absolutely, yeah. And, I, and you're right. I wish, I, I don't want to criticize the teachers I had, but... Go for it. <laughs> just, <laughs> but clearly, there are other ways to teach it. And maybe you have to figure out what kind of child you have to find out how to get this information inside their heads or bodies. The key for individual <clears throat> individualized teaching, I think, was that comes down to. Yeah, um, and maybe, in, you know, I've, I've stood on a platform and I've been um, zapped by uh, computers for ev from every direction so that they can reform me in a computer. You're talking about earlier about, you know, we won't need to act anymore. But they did get enough information from me to then put me into uh, the background of a shot without me having to show up. Oh my God. So that can be done. So why can't you take a child, <laughs> put it in a machine and zap it from every angle and figure out which would be the best way to teach it about a, sub a subject that. that it finds difficult. That's the modern actor's version of what we all said in the 70s and 80s. If we could put a man on the moon, <laughs> We can salt put you know yeah. fill in the rest of the sentence. You know why is this person dyslexic? What's going on? If we um, can digitize an actor and put him in a scene, why can't we train people to understand the world? Yeah, I love it. I like that because that, I find it fascinating. There's just something in my brain that refuses to um, accept the information. Doesn't know what to do with it. It just goes blah, 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 as soon as you. Start talking, but okay. But it's that's one thing to turn yourself off. But it doesn't mean I, I don't think you're saying that you don't still stand in awe or appreciation of, of completely the fascinating, completely right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I like the fact that he still is impressed mm -hmm. with what science can do, and yet because so many people in America, they they hate science forever. Right, yeah. and then they become anti-science. We try to prevent that in the classroom, but if, it, if we can do it around. There's some really interesting projects. We talked about computer mapping and trying to get people to learn science differently is right on. In fact, in the University of Central Florida, uh, there is a project called the Meteor Project, where kids- Meteor as a meteor yeah, coming to yeah, space. Yeah, but it's an attempt to teach people about gravity science using computer simulations. You put electrodes and sensors on a kid, bring him into a room, and he or she pretends to be an asteroid trying to go through and set into orbit, for example, around a planet. So actually they're using their body as a kinesthetic method so this is to learn science. So this is all from cinema. I mean, I mean from movie, movie yeah, magic. Movie, right, right, movie magic type stuff. And there are scores and they're trying to find different ways to get people to not just learn on paper how to write Okay, but stuff, I'm thinking but of the video game asteroids where you shoot them out of the sky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. sure. <laughs> so who's, who's shooting the asteroid kids as they go around? <laughs> that's what I that want. That might be in phase two. <laughs> that's the National Science Foundation that they're going to fund. But uh, this is legitimate science 
education research as well as just having a good time. Isn't that what's important? Don't we all learn best when we're having a good time while we're doing it? Yeah. It yeah. doesn't have to be something that's easy, mm-hmm. right? It's exactly. hard to make a jump shot. You know, it's hard to do a mute grab on your board, but people will work on it for hour after hour, day after day, year after year, because they're having a good time. Because they're having a good time. And uh, when he described his role as a surgeon, Mm -hmm. uh, that was a, he was operating on a, on a child that had a condition, what was it called? Blue baby. Uh, Blue baby. Mm -hmm. Blue baby uh, condition. And uh, so he had to think about how the heart worked and all that's that. Right. Well, that's, we got to wrap up this hour, uh-huh. but great having you guys here. My God. Such a pleasure. This, yeah, was, awesome. this was a good time. You've yeah. been listening to Star Talk Radio. You can find us on the web, startalkradio.net. Where else would that be, of course? <laughs> and uh, we're brought to you in part by a grant from the National Science Foundation. Let's give a shout out for the NSF. NSF. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Keeping <laughs> science flowing uh, through the river channels of our nation and by extension, the world and by our radio signal, the universe. <laughs> As always, keep looking up. Neil deGrasse Tyson, signing off.